0: This is Your Liturgical Bible, a Bible study series from Enacting the Kingdom. We believe that through community, ritual, and liturgy, the story of the Bible comes to life. Join Father Jeffrey and I as we learn to express the beauty of the biblical story together. Trees, trees, an important part of the scriptural story. They're not just for climbing. They're not just for building nice cabins. They are an essential part, actually, of... The scriptural narrative trees come up a whole lot in the Bible, and that's our topic today. Trees, um, you know, Father Jeffrey. Like anything with the scriptures, a good place to start usually is something like Genesis chapter one or Genesis chapter two, right? These creation accounts that we have, and because that has no pun intended, in seed form, things that will grow, these themes that will grow into full fledged trees later on, uh, thematic trees. Uh, so what, you know, when I think of Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two, it's, it's a particular, you know, I, I think of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life that's in the garden, right? The garden being a place that has a lot of trees, things are beautiful and green and planted. There's fruits, you can eat them. You can, you know, pluck and eat the fruit. And, you know, there's these two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, and yeah, those, those trees play, I, I can't quite put my finger on it necessarily, but trees seem to play an important part of the scriptural narrative right from the very beginning, don't they?
1: Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned about seed because that, that's an important part of why trees do feature so prominently, um, and and you mentioned it, that they are really prominent in scripture. I think after, um, you know, references to human beings. I mean, trees are probably the most mentioned, you know, part of creation in in all of the scriptures. It's just fascinating to kind of just do a, a kind of word search, you know, through uh, the Bible and find all the different ways the trees are mentioned there. But you're right; from the very beginning of the Torah, here in in the Genesis creation accounts, we have Trees trees that are featured, you know, very prominently. And even before you get to the Garden of Eden in chapter two, uh, in the six days of creation, this hymn of creation of, of Genesis chapter one, trees feature prominently. And it's really interesting how trees and human beings are made are put into kind of parallel. Right. I put into kind of a relationship and you just notice the way that the the kind of structure of that hymn of creation is laid out. Of course, the six days, as we all know. But on days one and two, there's a kind of simple, solitary act that God does. Right. So uh, on day one, it's the creation of of light. Uh, on, On day two, it's that separation of the waters from from the earth. Right. And both of those are kind of singular Acts. And so day one and day two. Then the third day, the waters under the sky are gathered into one place, the dry land appears, uh, and you know, so there's earth and there's sea. And then it's the vegetation that comes forward, right? And out of, and, and kind of chief among that vegetation is the fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. That's emphasized in the text. But that's a kind of, there's two parts to, to day three. So you get the, the, the earth, um, the land separated from the seas so that the earth can bring forth this vegetation, chief among which are the trees that bear the seed within them. And that's day three. And then you get the second set of three. So days four, five, and six, and day four and five, both again have singular acts of creation, right? And they parallel what happened on the first three days. So you had the light of you know day one, but now you get the things that give off the light, which is interesting. People always wonder, you know, how is it that there was light before these? But the sun and the stars and the moon are created on the fourth day, again as a singular act. And then on the fifth day, the the waters uh, bring forth um, swarms of living creatures, and then the birds and so forth. Right, and um, those are to fill you know the earth. Then the sixth day comes and then suddenly we have a dual action again. So singular on day one, two and four and five, but three and six that mirror each other. There's two acts. So there's the living creatures of of the land, the cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth. But then as a second act on day six, human beings, right? So like the trees are the second act on day three, human beings are the second act on day six. And, Interestingly, what are the human beings commanded to do? These ones that are created in God's image and likeness. They are to be fruitful. The previous mention of fruit had been with the trees and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. But and God mentioned specifically, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth, given every tree with its seed in its fruit. So again, the mention is of seed within the tree. In the, in the fruit, that it can perpetuate itself. And what does God tell human beings to do, but to be fruitful and multiply, that their seed is also carried forth within them. So trees and human beings live in this kind of parallel existence. They're both that second act of creation in these kind of Mirrored, you know, passages within this hymn of creation. They, uh, they're they're both the fruitful beings that can perpetuate themselves through the seed that they carry, you know, within them. It's interesting the way that hymns set that up. So when we get to the Garden of Eden, we're not surprised to find human beings and trees again placed in this kind of parallel relationship. Because how does that second creation account describe the creation of human beings? But that, as we've spoken of before, right? God takes dust. Of the ground, from the ground, right? Adama to form Adam, the, the human being, right? So the he breathes into this earth that is taken up and creates the, the human being. But then it says God plants a garden in Eden in the east, and there he puts the human being that he had formed. And again, out of the ground, right? The same way he'd taken the human being out of the ground, God makes to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And including the ones you mentioned, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So again, it's trees and human beings, and they're parallel, right? The the human being that is taken from the ground, the, the and and that the verb to, to be taken from the ground is a parallel verb in the Hebrew that and the tree that is taken that is made to to kind of grow, grow out of the ground. So human beings and trees have something to do with each other, and we're not surprised therefore to find throughout the scriptures that human beings get compared to trees. Right, that uh, you know, we find you know famously in passages, you know, like um, the the first psalm that we sing every Saturday evening, you know, at vespers, um, that you know, blessed is the man, but uh, you know, the one who follows the law of the Lord is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. It's all Genesis, you know, imagery that is being picked up again and again there. But then likewise, we're going to find trees are called to kind of behave like human beings, right? To clap their hands or to sing or do all sorts of things to, to, to worship God. And it's, it, it, it's then especially important then to notice that the trees that function as kind of tests, right? this, the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, are ultimately a kind of expression of the way that human beings are a test for one another, right, in this kind of um, crucible of, of life that we live in, which we're to learn to trust in God, but that human beings put us to the test. So trees represent human beings in that regard. So it's backwards and forwards all over the place, but right from the beginning of the Torah, right from the beginning of the creation accounts, we get this parallelism between what trees are are like and what human beings are like, both of which kind of represent the ongoing life by the fact that they carry this fruit within them, but they they function in, in kind of parallel ways.
0: If you haven't yet become a patron of Enacting the Kingdom over on Patreon, you're only getting a small fraction of everything we're up to. When you become a patron, for as little as $3 a month, you'll get immediate access to over 100 Patreon-exclusive episodes, weekly new releases, private live streams, and Patreon community events like Bible Studies. And as we're social media free, Patreon is the only place to engage with us and others about these episodes. Go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to join the growing community. Yeah, that ongoing life... Is, uh, is something that was hitting me while you were talking. You know, this trees often will live longer than humans, right? Yeah. Like the trees almost represent this perpetual life or this continued blessing even beyond this mortal coil, so to speak, or even beyond our own uh, unique personal existence, right? These trees continue on. Um, and... and uh, There's some kind of connection there with, I think, God's blessing. And um, I don't necessarily want to say eternal life. Right. But but something of like this continued blessing of life in creation that even goes beyond one human lifespan. Um, Yeah. And sorry, I'm a little scattered there, but that's where my brain was going with that kind of thinking. I'm not sure if I'm on the ball there or not.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, in ancient Near East, you would, the thing that you knew around you that was the oldest thing you could possibly imagine was probably trees, that living thing, right? Um, you know, animals have different lifespans, you know, and plants seem to to, to wither and grow. Um, but, but trees, you know, as you say, and particularly, you know, certain Types of trees seem to live pretty much forever from the perspective of, of human beings, and so absolutely, I mean, it it does almost have that quality of, of the life that is connected with the life of God, right? That 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 this, this assures a kind of ongoing life. And remember, in the earliest days of of Israel and 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 her worship of Yahweh, there wasn't a, a notion necessarily of you know. Resurrection, right? Uh, yet, I mean, that was a late development in in the the faith of Israel, possibly in and around the time of the exile, even post-exile, right? So, so, the last few centuries before Christ. So, though, I mean, human beings in seeking meaning are always looking for, you know, how do we make sense of the life that we're living? How do we assure? You know, our life goes on, and so that has to do with family and 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 inheritance and and legacy and so forth. But it also has to do with this this idea of just perpetuating life somehow, um, and and trees, which are, seem to embody this long, long, long life, if not quite eternal, you know, represent that, you know, so to say that a righteous person, the, the person who is following the law of the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, that leaves do not wither and all that they do, they prosper. Well, you know, that's what a beautiful image that is of that kind of ongoing life, right? If you want to, to live the right kind of human life, it's a, it's a life lived, lived according to the ways of God so it's righteous so it's following the law of the lord and it's a life that would look like a tree <laughs> a tree because a tree that is planted by the water is going to live it's going to live a long time it's going to prosper and it's going to give fruit and it's going to perpetuate itself through its seed and it's going to give a fruit it, all that represents the kind of fullness of what a a real life is is all about you can see why this metaphor is so powerful you know particularly in a in a land that you know maybe Trees are not as abundant as they are, you know, in a country like Canada, right? It's not, it's, it's not the boreal forest in, in, um, in Israel. So a tree, you know, is, can stand alone, but and it can be stark in the landscape, but it's still this powerful presence of life, a life that continues even after, you know, human life with all its frailty and vulnerability and rebellion against life and God, you know, doesn't represent. So the trees are seen in this really powerful way.
0: So, if we were to add that tool to our Bible reading tool belt, it would be something like: when you read about trees, you should think about God's blessings uh, as associated with life and continued life, and and the, I guess the perpetuation of that of God's blessing as well through the seed. Um, does that make sense? Is that is that is that accurate? For sure. The, though, of course, it's
1: it, you know it's always. Going to be complicated by the fact that these things bear almost within themselves their own opposites, right? And so how tragic is it that God who plants in Eden, you know, the, both the tree of, of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which really should be understood as a kind of tree of wisdom, right? Because that, that phrase, the knowledge of good and evil is, is a wisdom phrase. And it has to do with, you know, discernment and moral judgment and, you know, being able to kind of make proper decisions and so forth. So you have the tree of life and you have the tree of wisdom. And God says, don't eat of these, right? You're not ready, basically. Uh, I you know the, 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 the rest of the narrative is I want to give you life and I want to give you wisdom. Don't take them for yourselves. Don't have them on your own terms. So what is abundantly good becomes distorted when human beings appropriate it you know for themselves so the tree which is that symbol of life of wholeness of 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 god's glory and life shared with us can also be a curse right because it's it's by taking from those trees that human beings end up in exile from god in, in alienated from god isolated from life and wisdom ultimately and what it's going to take is a reconnection of you know human beings to God, and that's going to happen through a tree, interestingly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a point that's made. I mean, you might not immediately rush to, you know, the, reading the Gospels thinking of Jesus being hung on a tree, but go to the Acts of the Apostles. At least three times in, in the sermons in Acts, the Apostles specifically talk about the one who's hung on a tree. And you think, what are they going on about? You know, why, why are they using this? strange metaphor sure everybody knows what a cross is right two pieces of wood nailed together you don't need to say it's a tree why do they call it a tree they're thinking of trees they're thinking of what trees mean what trees represent they're thinking of eden they're thinking of all the ways in which trees are to represent um in properly understood properly entered into this kind of relationship you know with god but But, of course, the way human beings had undermined that, you know, by taking on our own terms from the tree, we had separated ourselves from God. So, of course, it's a tree. Of course, it's a tree. It has to be a tree upon which Jesus hangs in order to fulfill all righteousness, in order to reconcile the world to God.
0: Well, that's, you know, Jesus Christ being hung upon a tree, you know, crucified he also is, as many of the hymns and some of the church fathers talk about, is the fruit of the tree of life, right? And that we in the church, we consume the body and blood of Christ. We eat of the tree of the, you know, all these images are all connected. Um, but, to you know, to, to look at that biblical narrative of the crucifixion, you know, if trees I'm just going to think out loud here Father Jeffrey and then you can jump in. If trees, you know, in, so the tool in my tool belt right now is that when I think about trees I think of a source of God's life and blessing, but also a, kind of a source of maybe testing. Um I'm lack of a better word, but testing. But if if I think of the the cross, that's the place where life re-enters the world perhaps or where the ultimate image of life and God's blessing Uh, come into play but also this time of you know when adam and eve when they were faced with a particular tree they had failed their wisdom test so to speak but here the ultimate israelite the ultimate human jesus christ um passes with flying colors he he conquers he he defeats uh the powers that be um yeah that's me thinking out loud i'll let you jump in there father
1: well yeah it's absolutely to do with testing because remember the point of trees and of human beings as we read in in the beginning of Genesis there was that it they carry seed within them in order to bring life but also that they have this capacity to bear fruit right so another of the images that is connected to what you just said is the tree that is fruitless right the barren tree that's the that's the kind of opposite of the tree of 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 that god asks us to be is the opposite of that fruitful tree is a barren tree a tree that does not bear fruit and of course we find that in the gospels as well right right on the cusp of his passion and death and resurrection the lord jesus comes to jerusalem and what does he do (laughs) to a fig tree that is not bearing fruit right he curses it because that's the symbol of what humanity had become, what Israel had become, the, the 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 tree of God planted amidst the earth to bring fruit to the world, to bring life to the world, but not bearing fruit. And so, in order to get passed through to being the that that newly abundant and fruitful tree. The tree into which we are grafted, that the Lord is the vine and we are the branches, to use a kind of similar metaphor that we get in the Gospel of John to to, to the idea of trees. I mean, all of that has to happen by by casting out the tree that does not bear fruit. So it is indeed about testing. And everything, and that's where we pick up in our in our liturgy over and over again. You know, through through the Lenten season, through Holy Week, and so forth. This imagery uh, of trees, uh, you know, comes up you know again and again and again. I just pulled up a few passages here from from the Triodion just to kind of illustrate this. Right, so um, we get in the midst of Eden, a tree put forth the flower of death. Now, in the midst of all the earth, a tree has flowered with life. Right. So that tree, which had not been intended for anything other than life, but because we took it on our own terms in Eden, became something that flowered with death, which is a really, really, you know, contradictory, paradoxical image, right? To flower with death. Beautiful. But now in the midst of all the earth, a tree has flowered with life, right? Eating from the first tree, we who were immortal fell into corruption, but through the second tree, incorruption is bestowed upon us again. Or in paradise of old, the tree stripped me bare, for by giving me its fruit to eat, the enemy brought in death. But now the tree of the cross that clothes men with the garment of life has been set up on the earth and the whole world is filled with boundless joy. Over and over and over again, you get this contrast, you know, of the trees and the the iconography, interestingly, of the crucifixion, which, of course, places the cross of Christ on a mountain, (laughs) of course, Um, you know, having come through the garden, you know, um, you know, like the garden of, of testing of Eden, we have the garden of testing of Gethsemane, where the Lord again, passes the test right? He passes the test because he says, not my will, but yours, Lord. So it's this trust, this utter dependence and trust in God that is the basis of our relationship, our true relationship with God. So the Lord passes through that. And of course, the tree is set on a mountain and that mountain, Golgotha, right? The place of a skull. And in the iconography of of the Orthodox Church, that skull is the skull of Adam. Right So that the tree that had led to death to exile and ultimately death of the first man, the first Adam, is undone by the tree of life that is planted above that where you know from which life comes to all the world, so all these paradoxes and contrasts and and everything are you know, they 're replete in our liturgy it's, it's so beautiful once you start to as you say, you have said a few times, once you have this in your toolkit, right? This imagery and everything. I mean, just the liturgy pops with all of this, this, um, these metaphors and and, and imagery, so forth. The people who put those liturgies together knew those toolkits for sure.
0: If you are getting value from this podcast, please consider writing a short, positive five-star review on your podcast app. And even though we are social media free, there is still a place you can keep up to date with enacting the kingdom. You can join the email list by going to enactingthekingdom.com. When you read the, the the hymns, when you read the, the fathers and mothers, and, and you are aware of the toolkit, you see that they are... W- w- very more aware of the tour toolkit, you know, they know how to, uh, parse out these images and, you know, in, so there's a couple of times in the church here where we celebrate the cross, right? Obviously there's Holy and great Friday. We where we remember in particular the crucifixion. Uh, but there's also that middle Sunday of Lent, right? We have the Sunday of the cross, actually the week of the cross in the, right in the middle of Lent, uh, to remind us, you know, where we're going with this Lenten journey. Um, uh, uh, but perhaps the 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 biggest feast of the cross is uh, in September the the feast of the exaltation of the holy cross where there's uh, quite a few days set aside just for remembering the cross we have a the the readings for the sunday before the feast of the cross are different and the readings after the sunday of the cross and there's this whole um kind of like a mini holy week right um around the Feast of the Cross in September, where we actually bring out the cross and we put it into the middle of the church and we decorate it with basil and other flowers and we bow down before it and we venerate it. And, you know, in the the celebration of the Feast of the Cross, if we listen carefully, I think all of these themes and all of these hymns are coming into play, aren't they, Father Jeffrey?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's almost a feast created... By the imagery rather than the other. I mean, you sort of think, well, why do we have this feast? Because it's not celebrating an event, you know, in the gospels as such. It's, a, it's, it's, it's kind of a a feast of metaphors in a way. Obviously, it's connected originally. We've spoken about this before, you know, with the dedication of the church of the Holy Sepulchre, you know, in, in Jerusalem, which took place on the 13th of September. And so on the next day, the cross, which had been found by St. Helen uh, was brought out for veneration. And so out of that, you know, arose this kind of universal feast, but you sort of think, you know, what, what are we actually celebrating here? We're celebrating the toolkit in a way it's, it's kind of the, the, the most obvious example of where the liturgy itself arises out of just this almost like a, a celebration of biblical metaphor and language and symbolism, right? I mean, it exists only to, to kind of, for us to rejoice in all of that. And it's quite marvelous for that. I, it's, it's for that reason, I think for those of us who have kind of a literary bent or whatever, it's, it's one of the most, um, impressive feasts. I, I remember, actually, one of the things that that initially drew me into the Orthodox Church uh, was uh, translating from Anglo-Saxon, the famous poem, The Dream of the Root, uh, which was, you know, uh, one of the earliest examples of Christian poetry in, in English or in Proto-English or, or whatever. And it's the same thing, right? It's it's just, it's all about the wood, the tree of the cross and about all of this beautiful, powerful symbolism that comes out of the scriptures. And I thought, you know, I want to be part, I want to be in a place where I can celebrate this. I want to be in a place where I can liturgize this. And where do I find it? It's in the the Eastern Church in the Byzantine liturgy and in something like the feast, universal uh, exaltation of the cross, right, in, in, in September, because it's the, doing the same thing. It allows me to kind of just Bask in biblical imagery and metaphor, and so forth, and which, as we've seen in this series, is powerful. It's 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 what frames our life. It's what gives dimension and you know kind of um, breadth and scope to to what we do on a daily basis. It's not just about the language at the end of the day. Not just about metaphor. It's about how we live our lives and to to understand about these trees and to 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 enter into that reality and to to kind of reclaim the the tree of life that is the tree upon which Christ uh, was hung as the the way that we can enter into relationship you know with God is is central to our existence so so and I love the feast for that you know that it seems to be celebrating nothing more than than what the the narratives of the of the scriptures lead us towards which is this celebration of of what Christ has done through this this glorious language of of
0: trees. And there's this uh, let me know what you think of this image where you have this you have trees that have seeds that perpetuate themselves into forests and all that kind of stuff. You know this image of Christ hanging on the tree and being that fruit and he he is the the seed, right? He's the, he's the one who gives life to um, as some church hymns will say, kind of the barren church of the nations or the Gentiles, right? That um, we ourselves are the continuation of that tree of of that story of that um, life, death and resurrection of Christ. And we, we are, uh, metaphorically speaking, the community when gathered at liturgy around that cross, we should see ourselves as the forest that has grown out of that one kind of primordial tree of the cross. Um, what do you think of that metaphor, Father?
1: Well, that's exactly what the the Psalms, which are the the kind of core liturgical texts that we have in our liturgy, you know. T- direct us to do right so psalm 95 or 96 in the, in the hebrews sing to the lord a new song sing to the lord all the earth sing to the lord bless his name tell of his salvation from day to day declare his glory among the nations his marvelous works among all the peoples for great is the lord and greatly to be praised to be revered above all god's For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord has made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. And then it goes on to say, say among the nations, the Lord is king. The world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. We have these verses at again, it's a Procumenon at Saturday Evening Vespers. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad, the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he is coming. He's coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and all the peoples with his truth. So of all the things there, I mean, it's the glory of God in creation, the glory of God in all the world amidst the nations, the nations that don't have true gods, their gods are idols. But the thing in all of creation that's that's actually doing the human thing, singing, they're trees. So who are the trees in this regard? We said before, the righteous one who's, who follows the law of the Lord is like a tree. Well, now we are called to sing for joy like trees of the forest, right? So again, the trees, trees are involved in this. It's the same kind of imagery that I mentioned is in um, Isaiah right? Uh, chapter 55, uh, where we've got um, the imagery of all the trees clapping their hands. Uh, Here, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You have no money, come and buy and eat. We read this at Theophany, at the great blessing of the waters, right? But it goes on to say that um, uh, the That all the nations are going to come and glorify God and all parts of creation will will, will glorify God. All the mountains and hills are going to burst into song and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Well, can trees actually clap their hands? No, we're talking about humans, right? So the singing, the clapping, this is again about the trees and humans being very much, you know, connected and and parallel in, in creation. And so indeed, in response to God's saving works we are called to be trees to be those trees planted by the streams of of god's living water that bear fruit that that show this abundant and long and eternal life and who give glory to
0: god in in everything that that we do thanks for listening I'm Father Yuri Gladio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning, and I'm joined on this show by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Come connect with us on Patreon with any thoughts and follow ups about this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time.